0: Welcome to a very special 12-part mini-series in partnership with Google Zeitgeist 2019, a collection of talks by people who are changing the world. Here entrepreneurs, business leaders, storytellers, scientists, and dreamers share their visions of how we can shape tomorrow. This episode is with neuroscientist and sleep diplomat Matthew Walker on how your brain, heart, immune system, and genetics can be negatively affected by even an hour less of sleep each night, and how to sleep better for a longer, healthier life. Dr. Matthew Walker is a former professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and currently is professor of neuroscience and psychology at UC Berkeley. He is also the director of the Center for Human Sleep Science at UC Berkeley. In his best-selling book, Why We Sleep, he argues that we are in the midst of a public health crisis caused by a global sleep loss epidemic. Why We Sleep explains how we can harness sleep to improve everything from learning, mood, energy levels, preventing disease, slow the effects of aging, and much more. Dr. Walker is also a sleep scientist for Google.
1: It's a delight to be speaking with you, and I would like to start with testicles. (laughs) Men who sleep five hours a night have significantly smaller testicles than those who sleep seven hours or more. In addition, men who routinely sleep just four to five hours a night will have a level of testosterone which is that of someone 10 years their senior. So a lack of sleep will age a man by a decade in terms of that critical aspect of wellness and virility. Um, And we see equivalent impairments in female reproductive health caused by a lack of sleep. This is the best news that I have for you today. From this point forward, it may only get worse. Not only will I tell you about the wonderfully good things that happen when you get sleep, but the alarmingly bad things that happen when you don't get enough. Um, Both for the brain and the body, let me start with the brain and the functions of learning and memory. Because what we've discovered over the past 10 or so years is that you need sleep after learning to essentially hit the save button on those new memories so that you don't forget. So sleep will actually future-proof that information in your brain. But recently we discovered that you also need sleep before learning. And now to actually prepare your brain, um, almost like a dry sponge, ready to initially soak up new information. And without sleep, the memory circuits within your brain essentially become waterlogged, as it were, and you can't absorb new memories. So let me show you the data. Here in this study, we decided to test the hypothesis that pulling the all-nighter was a good idea. Um, How do you do that? Well, we took a group of perfectly healthy adults, and we assigned them to one of two experimental groups, a sleep group and a sleep deprivation group. Now, the sleep group, they're going to get a full eight hours of slumber. But the deprivation group, we're going to keep them awake in the laboratory under full supervision. Um, There's no naps, there's no caffeine, uh, miserable for everyone involved. And then the next day, we're going to place those participants inside an MRI scanner. And we're going to have them try and learn a whole list of new facts as we're taking snapshots of brain activity. And then we're going to test them to see how effective that learning has been. And that's what you're looking at on the vertical axis here, the amount of learning. So the higher up you are, the more that you learn. And when you put those two groups head-to-head, what you find is a quite significant 40% deficit in the ability of your brain to make new memories without sleep. And I think this should be frightening considering what we know is happening to sleep in our education populations right now. Just to place that in context, it would be the difference between acing an exam and failing it miserably, 40%. And we've gone on to discover what goes wrong within your brain to produce these types of learning disabilities. And there's a structure that sits on the left and the right side of your brain called the hippocampus, and you can see it here in these sort of orange-yellow colors. Um, Think of the hippocampus like the informational inbox of your brain. It's very good at receiving new memory files and then holding on to them. And when we looked at this structure in those people who'd had a full night of sleep here in Green, we saw lots of healthy learning-related activity. Yet in those people who were sleep-deprived, we actually couldn't find any significant signal whatsoever. It's almost as though sleep deprivation had shut down your memory inbox, and any new incoming files, they were just being bounced. You couldn't effectively commit new experiences to memory. And parenthetically, if you'd like to know what life is like um, without a functioning hippocampus, just watch the movie Memento. I suspect some of you have seen this movie, I won't spoil a punchline, but this gentleman suffers brain damage. And from that point forward, he can no longer make any new memories. He's what we call densely amnesic. The part of his brain that was damaged was the hippocampus, and it is the very same structure that sleep deprivation will attack and block your brain's capacity for new learning. So that's the bad that can happen if I take sleep away from you. But let me just come back to that control group for a second, here in green. Remember those folks that got a full eight hours of uh, slumber? Well, we can ask a very different question. What is it about the physiological quality of your sleep, when you do get it, that restores and enhances your learning and memory ability each and every day? And by placing electrodes all over the head, what we've discovered is that there are big, powerful brainwaves that happen during the very deepest stages of sleep that have riding on top of them these spectacular bursts of electrical activity that we call sleep spindles. And it's the combined quality of these deep sleep brainwaves that acts like a file transfer mechanism at night shifting memories from a short-term, vulnerable reservoir to a more permanent, long-term storage site within your brain, and therefore protecting them and making them safe. And it's important that we understand what it is during sleep that actually transacts these memory benefits, because there are real medical and societal implications. And let me just tell you about one area that we're moving this work out into, which is the context of aging and dementia. Because, of course, it's no secret that as we start to get older, our learning and memory abilities begin to fade and decline. But what we've also known for some time is that a physiological signature of aging is that your sleep gets worse. And not just any type of sleep, especially that deep quality of sleep that I was just discussing. And only last year, we finally published evidence that these two things, they're not simply co-occurring, They are significantly interrelated. And it suggests that the disruption of deep sleep is an underappreciated factor that is contributing to cognitive decline or memory decline in aging, and most recently we've discovered in Alzheimer's disease as well. Now, I know this is remarkably depressing news. Um, It's in the mail. It's coming at you. But there is a possible silver lining here. Unlike many of the other factors that we know are associated with aging and dementia, Um, for example, changes in the physical structure of your brain, or even changes in the blood flow dynamics of the brain, those are fiendishly difficult to treat. But that sleep is a missing piece in the explanatory puzzle of aging and Alzheimer's is exciting because we may be able to do something about it. And one way that we are approaching this at my sleep centre is not by using sleeping pills, by the way. Unfortunately, they are blunt instruments that do not produce naturalistic sleep, and they have been associated with a significantly higher risk of death as well as cancer, and I'm happy to speak about that later. Instead, we're actually developing a technology based on this. It's called direct current brain stimulation. Uh, You apply pads to the head, and you insert a small amount of voltage into the brain so small you typically don't feel it, but it has a measurable impact. Now, if you apply this stimulation during sleep, as if you're sort of singing in time with those deep sleep brainwaves, not only can we amplify the size of those deep sleep brainwaves, but in young, healthy adults, we can almost double the amount of memory benefit that you get from sleep. The question now is whether we can translate the same affordable, potentially portable piece of technology into older adults and those with dementia. Can we restore back some healthy quality of deep sleep? And in doing so, can we salvage aspects of their learning and memory function? That is my real hope now. Um, that's one of our sort of moonshot goals, as it were. So that's sleep... Um, for learning, memory, aging, Alzheimer's disease, that's sleep as an example for your brain, but sleep is just as essential for your body. And here, I could have gone into any one of the model systems in detail. Um, We've already spoken about sleep loss and your reproductive system. Or I could tell you about sleep loss and your metabolic system, that after one week of short sleep, your blood sugar levels are disrupted so significantly that your doctor would classify you as being pre-diabetic. Or I could tell you about sleep loss and your cardiovascular system, and that all it takes is one hour. Because there is a global experiment performed on 1.6 billion people across 70 countries twice a year. And it's called daylight savings time. Now, in the spring, when we lose one hour of sleep, we see a subsequent 24% increase in heart attacks the following day. In the autumn, in the fall, when we gain an hour of sleep, we see a 21% reduction in heart attacks. Isn't that incredible? And you see exactly the same profile for road traffic accidents on our streets, even suicide rates. But here is a deeper dive, I want to focus on this, sleep loss and your immune system. And here I'll introduce these delightful blue elements in the image. They are called natural killer cells. Think of natural killer cells like the secret service agents of your immune system. Uh, They are very good at identifying dangerous unwanted elements and eliminating them. In fact, what they're doing here is embedding themselves into a malignant, a cancerous tumor mass and destroying it. So what you want is a virile set of these immune assassins at all times. And tragically, that's what you don't have if you're not sleeping enough. So here in this study, you're not going to have your sleep deprived for an entire night. Simply going to restrict your sleep to four hours for one single night. And then we're going to look to see what is the percent reduction in immune cell activity that you suffer. And it's not small. Um, It's not... 10% or uh, 30%, there was a 70% drop in natural killer cell activity. That is um, a concerning state of immune deficiency, and it happens quickly, essentially after just one short night of sleep. You could perhaps imagine the state of your immune system after weeks, if not years, of insufficient sleep. And it should come as no surprise that we're now learning of significant links between short sleep duration across your life and your risk for the development of numerous forms of cancer. Currently, that list includes cancer of the bowel, cancer of the prostate, and cancer of the breast. In fact, the link between a lack of sleep and cancer has now become so strong that recently the World Health Organization decided to classify any form of nighttime shift work as a probable carcinogen. In other words, jobs that may induce cancer because of a disruption of your sleep-wake rhythms. Now, you may have heard of that old maxim that you can sleep when you're dead, Well, I'm being quite serious now. It is mortally unwise advice. If you adopt that mindset, we know from the data you will be both dead sooner, and the quality of your now shorter life will be significantly worse. This is what epidemiological studies teach us across millions of individuals. It's a very simple truth. The shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. Short sleep predicts all-cause mortality. Now, if increasing your risk for the development of cancer um, or even Alzheimer's disease were not sufficiently um, disquieting, we have since discovered that a lack of sleep will even erode the very fabric of biological life itself, your DNA genetic code. So here in this study, they took a group of perfectly healthy adults and limited them to six hours of sleep a night for one week and then they measured the change in their gene activity profile relative to those very same subjects, but when they were getting eight hours of sleep a night. And there were two key findings. First, a sizable and significant 711 genes were distorted in their activity, caused by a lack of sleep. And this is relevant, because we know almost one out of every two adults um, are trying to survive on six hours of sleep during the week in developed nations. The second finding, however, was that about half of those genes were increased in their activity, the other half were decreased. Now, those genes that were actually switched off by insufficient sleep were genes that were associated with your immune system. So once again, you could see that immune deficiency here. In contrast, those genes that were actually increased or what we call upregulated by a lack of sleep, were genes that were associated with the promotion of tumors, genes associated with long-term chronic inflammation within your body, and genes that were associated with stress and, as a consequence, cardiovascular disease. There is simply no aspect of your wellness that can retreat at the sign of sleep deprivation and get away unscathed. It's almost like a broken water pipe in your home. Sleep loss will leak down into every nook and cranny of your physiology. Even tampering with the very DNA nucleic alphabet, that spells out your daily health narrative. And at this point, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, okay, I, I get it. What can I do to start improving my sleep? What are your um, tips for better sleep? Well beyond avoiding the damaging and harmful impact of alcohol and caffeine on your sleep at night, and if you're struggling with sleep at night, avoiding naps during the day, I have two additional pieces of advice. The first is regularity. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, no matter whether it's the weekday or the weekend. Regularity is king, and it will anchor your sleep and improve the quantity and the quality of that sleep. The second is keep it cool. Your body needs to drop its core temperature by about two to three degrees Fahrenheit to fall asleep and then to stay asleep. And it's the reason you will always find it easier to fall asleep in a room that's too cold than too hot, because too cold is taking you in the right temperature direction for good sleep. So aim for a bedroom temperature of around 67 or 68 degrees. It sounds cold, but it seems to be optimal for the sleep of most people. And finally, then, in sort of taking a step back, what's the mission-critical statement here? Well, I think it would be this. Sleep, unfortunately, is not an optional lifestyle luxury. Sleep is a non-negotiable biological necessity. It is your life support system, and it is Mother Nature's best effort yet at immortality. And the decimation of sleep throughout industrialised nations is having a catastrophic impact on our health, our wellness, our productivity, even the safety and the education of our children. It is a silent sleep-loss epidemic, and it is fast becoming one of the greatest public health challenges that we face in the 21st century. I believe it is now time for us to reclaim our right to a full night of sleep and without embarrassment or that unfortunate stigma of laziness and in doing so we can be reunited with the most powerful elixir of life, the Swiss army knife of health as it were. And with that um, soap box rant over, um, I will simply say good night, good luck and above all, I do hope you sleep well. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think we, do we have time for questions or no questions? Um, I'm I'm happy to maybe take two very quick questions. I think Um, I will take them back to back, and then I will answer them uh, in rapid fire if anyone has them. If not, uh, everyone is good? Yes. Can you get too much sleep? Uh, Great question. Can you get too much sleep? There is, uh, in the literature, something called hypersomnia. Uh, We typically see it in depression. But if you actually look at that literature, it seems to be people are simply reporting being in bed longer, not necessarily sleeping longer. But let's play with that idea for a second. Could there be a thing such as too much sleep? I actually think yes, which sounds strange coming from someone like me. But make no mistake, that's no different than the other three critical ingredients of life, food, water, and oxygen. Can you overeat or undereat? Yes, you can. Can you overhydrate? It happened in the 1990s with the ecstasy craze. People were going out, dancing all night. The government said, you need to drink water. They drank too much. They had high blood pressure, and they had stroke and cardiovascular events. Um, Can you have too much oxygen? It's called hyperoxemia. It can be toxic to brain cells. So can you have too much sleep? Well, we've not found such a thing yet, but I suspect it follows exactly that same type of u shaped function. Are most people in danger of getting too much sleep? (laughs) Au contraire. (laughs) All right, I will leave it at that. Thank you very much indeed. Uh,
0: I have a question. Yes. I have a, a PSA, but I have a question first. Do some people need fundamentally more sleep or less sleep than others? I mean, is it true that we all need the identical amount of sleep? I don't know that I've ever slept for eight hours consecutively. Yeah.
1: <laughs> OK. So firstly, we will chat later in that regard. Secondly, um, there, there is a range. It seems to be about seven and a half to nine and a half hours of sleep is optimal for the for sort of human beings. Um, Once you get below seven hours of sleep, we can measure objective impairments. In other words, the number of people who can survive on seven hours of sleep or less without showing any impairment, rounded to a whole number and expressed as a percent of the population, is zero. Um, So really noted. But there definitely, <laughs> but there definitely is a range. It's like calories. You know, could I recommend for the average human male adult, it's going to be two thousand calories. But based on your unique physiology, what you've been doing that day, it can increase or decrease. But certainly, less than seven hours of sleep, that's where we see biological effects.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for repairs. Thanks for listening to this mini series in partnership with Google Zeitgeist 2019. To find out more information about Google Zeitgeist, including speakers appearing in previous years, please remember to visit youtube.com slash Google Zeitgeist. That's Google Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T.